happy what is sure to be a pretty extended Fourth of July weekend. <laughs> As we head into Independence Day, I thought it might be interesting to look this morning at what the Bible teaches us about freedom, how that influenced the Founding Fathers, and what that means for us now. We remember that July 4th was the day that the delegates met for the Second Continental Congress and adopted the Declaration of Independence. It was signed a little later, but today it was adopted. They came together to fight back against the British because they believed that they were subject to tyranny. This cause for freedom, for liberty, sprang from both the powerful impact of the Great Awakening, that religious revival that had swept the nation a few decades before, and it came from rationalism, this movement that lifted up reason as the path to truth the strength and value of the mind over the privilege of wealth and class. Distaste for taxation and stricter policies from the British were widespread in the colonies, and so people came together to fight as one for the freedom to be a new kind of nation. As we look back at the heroes of our history, it can be easy for us to romanticize things, to make the course of events seem easy or even inevitable. But though many felt called to freedom, things were by no means certain. I did some research on this of the about two and a half million people living in the colonies during the, re the revolution, up to about 500,000 supported the British. They were Tories in the war. For all you interested in math, that's 20% of the colonists were loyalists. And even among the patriots, many of them had more that was different from one another than they had in common. They were rich and poor, men and women, country folk and city folk, farmers and merchants, white and black. There were about 9,000 free blacks who fought with the patriots about a hundred Jews and a handful of Muslims have been recorded in lists of revolutionary soldiers. Even among Christians, there wasn't really easy agreement. Back then, pretty much everyone believed that all those other denominations were going to hell. And yet, our Declaration of Independence was adopted and eventually signed by Episcopalians, Congregationalists, Presbyterians, Quakers, Unitarians, Deists, and a Catholic. Even today, it's hard to imagine what that particular group would have to agree on. I'll stop with the details. I'm going a long way to make a pretty short point. The people who fought for our freedom rose above just about every division imaginable in their day to do what they thought was right. In different ways, with different roles and focuses, they came together despite class, wealth, gender, race, religion, place of origin, and on and on. Freedom means that all of us have the right to make our own choices, to worship, to speak, to live, to pursue happiness as we see fit. In Galatians, we find Paul talking about freedom, but he's talking very specifically about the freedom that we have in Christ. 
Paul says that freedom in Christ means salvation comes by grace through faith. That means you don't have to worry about whose interpretations of the law that you follow, loose or strict, as long as your choices don't interfere with salvation. He taught that you could do or not do anything that you want. And that's the key, right? As Christians living in freedom, we know that we are sinners. But we also know that doesn't give us permission to go set fire to a library or taunt school children just because we feel like it. We're Christians, for goodness sake. In Galatians, Paul tells us, you were called to freedom, brothers and sisters. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for self-indulgence, but through love, become slaves to one another. Now, isn't that something else? The Bible tells us that freedom isn't for freedom for its own sake. And right after Paul says, we are called to freedom, he says, you're free, so go be slaves to one another through love. The irony there is not accidental. That word for freedom is the same that would be used for a slave liberated from slavery. And there he goes, telling us to be slaves through agape, slaves through the love that God loves us with, the love that we show when we try to live by God's will for humanity. When I think about the Founding Fathers and everything that they rose above to form common cause, I wonder in silence. For them, the enemy was tyranny. The enemy was anyone who would take away the rights of another. Uh, thankfully, our sense of who is worthy of rights has improved significantly since then, but still, we built on their ideals and courage to become a society united in those freedoms. Jesus told us to love our enemies. He knew that we'd always manage to find enemies for ourselves, and I think of America now as I ponder that question, who is our enemy? Now, most of us could point to a few countries on the map who mean us harm or international terrorist groups with foul, inhuman plots. And well, if you define an enemy as someone who is openly hostile, acting from a deep-seated hatred, then I'd say those are certainly enemies. But if we watch the news... Hear the pundits scan our Facebook feeds. Overhear strangers in coffee shops. It seems like we're spending more and more of our energy making enemies of our fellow Americans. We don't seem to talk to each other much anymore. We talk at each other, or worse, we only talk to our side, to the people who agree with us already. We form political camps, camps of Christian versus Christian, age-based, gender-based, sports-based. It seems like any possible difference that we have anymore, we're drawing thicker lines and more menacing boundaries. Any who disagree or even appear to be on the other side are quickly barraged with insults and anger and impatience. 
Their motives and intelligence are immediately suspect, and we so often mock and sneer and shut down the conversation. Too often. Jesus said, love your enemies. Have we come to that as a nation, as people of faith? Are we so deeply washed in the values of our own side, in whichever area that it is, that we can't believe that a stranger has values too? Are we so proud that we claim that we could never make a mistake or learn something from someone else? Is it so easy to act mean-spirited that we don't care who we hurt anymore? Paul's voice rings out, echoing Jesus, echoing Leviticus. The whole law is summed up in a single commandment. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. If, however, you bite and devour one another, take care that you are not consumed by one another. If we have to attack Anyone with a different idea from our own, we won't have to worry about our foreign enemies because we'll destroy each other ourselves. What a tragedy. And I started to think that if the Founding Fathers spoke to each other like we do and treated each other like we so often do, we might still be subjects of the British Empire. Friends, as Christians... We are called to spend each day of our lives trying to be more like Christ. And Jesus did not bite and devour those who moved against him, and there were plenty who did. When he reached out for hearts to guide and to heal, he crossed all the barriers and divisions of his day. To those who stood against him, he offered prayer, forgiveness, forbearance, and patient love. The heart of our lives, our Holy Savior, bids us to see that he stands more powerful than any division that we imagine or create here on earth. If we wish to give ourselves to him, We must hear his call to celebrate his holy name over all the other voices that would lead us to quarrel with and despise our neighbor. In Christ, we are free. This is our great responsibility. Giving thanks for that freedom, we can act in ways that glorify God, that love our neighbors, that feed the soul. Where we sin, we can engage in the freedom to be made anew when we repent and confess our sins. And it is because we are truly free that Scripture so often appeals to the goodness that is in us to get up, to keep trying, to seek the good, to do good once more. Peter tells us, finally, all of you have unity of spirit, sympathy, love for one another a tender heart, and a humble mind. Do not repay evil for evil, abuse for abuse, but repay with a blessing. And so let us choose to use our freedom for unity, for love for tender hearts and humble minds. 
Let us speak words of kindness and blessing to all that we meet, in person or even on the internet. As people of faith, we know what God has done for us in Christ Jesus. We know what promise, what grace, what life lies before us. And so may we learn from Jesus and Paul and Peter and speak of the hope that rests in our hearts with gentleness and with reverence. Amen.